So are you enjoying our journey through the first five chapters of Romans? The question I really ought to ask is, are you being impacted by it? You know, it is so rich in basic gospel truth. We get to follow along as Paul, the master apologist, if you will, takes us through the problem, which is our sin, the solution, which is the good news of salvation offered in Jesus Christ. Today's our next to the last message from these first five chapters. And so I thought I'd take a couple minutes just to do a brief review. You know, the first two chapters uh, lay out the case for all of us being under sin, both Jews and Gentiles. And then four weeks ago, Rick took us through the first part of chapter 3, kind of summing that up with the unhappy but the extremely important conclusion that in and of ourselves, we can offer God absolutely nothing. We have to understand the depth of our before we can truly understand what we have in Jesus Christ. That's the bad news. The following week, Micah got us started on the good news, starting in chapter 3, verse 21, that in spite of our sin, and in spite of the fact that we can offer God absolutely nothing in and of ourselves, we can be declared righteous. Apart from the law, by grace, through faith. And we call that justification. And we know that this justification to Gentiles, which is us, as well as to Jews, because Abraham believed and was declared righteous before he was circumcised. Brady dealt with that two weeks ago from chapter 4 and emphasized that this justification by faith is for obedience. Last week, Matt expounded again from chapter 4 on the promise of grace, the faith of Abraham, which was based on nothing but the words of God. Abraham held firmly to his, even when the circumstances were completely contrary. And he was fully assured that God would do what he had promised. So today we want to look more into this justification which is granted to us by faith. So if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 1 and we'll read through the 11th verse. And that, I believe, is page 942 in your pew Bible. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps and one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Brady's take-home point from his message was that justification is for obedience. So I want to play off of that just a bit for my take-home point, which is that justification by faith is awesome. I struggled some with using that word because I sometimes think it's overused, but I really couldn't come up with a better one. Perhaps by the end of this message, you'll think I've overused it too. Um, But maybe it'll help us to remember. So I want to spend the rest of our time looking at some of the ways that our justification is awesome. We're going to look at some awesome results in verses 1 through 5 and 9 through 11. Then we will look at an awesome consideration in verses 6 through 8. And finally, we'll look at reconciliation. Now, let me say that all of these things that we'll be considering this morning apply to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. If you have not done that, what we're going to talk about does not apply to you. We would love to help you come to that position of justification if you so desire. One of the good techniques of Bible study as far as helping us to learn what is in a passage is to look for lists. The one type of list, what we might call a simple list, where the items are laid out very nicely. And perhaps one of the most common of those is the fruit of the Spirit, right? In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says, for the fruit of the Spirit is, and then it lays those out one right after the other. Another type of list is what we would call a topical list, and sometimes that's not so obvious, but I'm going to suggest that we have a topical list. Um, Here in these verses of the list of the results of justification, and I've identified seven of those that we're going to consider briefly. Okay, now my disclaimer, I fully realize that seven points is way too many to have in one message, if you want people to remember them. Okay, so you don't have to remember these. And the reason you don't is because that they're clearly listed here in the passage, and you can go back and read them any time. My desire is that you remember that justification by faith is awesome, and that it's awesome because of some awesome results and an awesome consideration. First, a brief story. 
many centuries ago, man had just been used by God to manifest to hundreds of people God's great power and that he alone was the one true God and deserved their worship and service. Right after that, however, his life was threatened and he fled in fear and despair, even to the point of asking God to take his life. Instead, God provided rest and peace and much-needed food and water and then sent him on a journey and he had more work for him to do. And we'll come back to this story at the end. Let's begin by looking at some of these awesome results. Verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our first awesome result. Scripture tells us that this is a peace that we can't fully understand. We do know that this is not referring to a worldly type of peace in the sense of absence of war or absence of conflict. It is instead an inner peace which is given to each individual who is justified by faith. It includes, among other things, freedom from guilt and condemnation, close relationship between a loving father and a grateful child, the privilege of communicating with our father anytime and anywhere and knowing that he hears us, and the comfort of knowing for certain that this life is not all we have and that one day will be eternally in his presence. Verse 2, here we see a second awesome result. We stand in grace. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What does that mean? We know from Ephesians 2.8 that by grace we are saved through faith. It's because of God's grace that he has provided a means for us to be saved. And so all people can really be in only one of two places in this life. All who are justified by faith are in God's grace, as I have represented here by a circle. Everyone else is outside the circle. And I've chosen to label them as in man's poverty. And I struggled with what term to use for that. But, you know, if we define as we commonly hear as God's riches at Christ's expense, then everyone outside of grace is living without these riches and is, in effect, in poverty. Because we are justified by faith, we are standing in God's grace. And that should be a tremendous encouragement to us. Continuing in verse 2, we find a third awesome result of our justification by faith. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In addition to our having peace with God and standing in grace, both of which we have now in this life, we have a sure hope one day we will share the glory of God by being eternally with him. We are reminded in Romans 8.24 that hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? 
For example, I don't have to hope this morning that I have something to stand behind and put my notes on because it's here. I can see it. I don't have to hope for that. But if I'd like to have a sunny day tomorrow, I do have to hope for that because it's not here and I can't see it. And of course, it matters very greatly what it is for which I am hoping. If I'm hoping for a sorrow, that is a very insecure hope because it may or may not happen. If, however, I'm hoping for God's goodness to me or for my eternally being in his presence someday, those are very secure hopes. But why is this important? We might ask, what's so great about hope? Well, if we really think about it and analyze it a bit, we'll recognize that hope is really what keeps us going, both spiritually and in all of life. So what do I mean by that? We all at least some degree of hope. For example, you parents with young children have the hope that these children are going to eventually grow up and be able to take care of themselves. Or in the case of a child with significant disabilities where that might not be the case, you do have hope in probably some other form of relief eventually. Without that, your lives would be almost unbearable. You students have the hope that someday this formal schooling is going to be finished and you're not going to have to study and take tests. Those in a difficult marriage have some hope that you and your spouse are able to make some changes and your relationship will be better. Or you can plug in whatever your difficult circumstance is. If we do not have at least some degree of hope, we fall into despair and depression. And one of the major factors in suicide is a loss of hope. If I'm in a terrible situation and I see no hope at all that will ever improve, then what's the use of living? I say these things to emphasize the importance of hope in some degree, in some form. And the result is so awesome for us who are justified by faith is that we have the best hope of all, which is in God and in our ultimate sharing of his glory. And you know, it's amazing. I didn't collaborate with the music team this morning, but that new song... Um, you know, Jesus keeps hope alive, stressed also the importance of hope. In verse 3, we see a fourth result that perhaps at first glance doesn't seem quite so awesome. We rejoice in our sufferings. At this point, you might be ready to tune Paul out and say, uh, well, this is going a little bit too far. Rejoicing in my sufferings doesn't seem so awesome to me. Why should I do that? The first reason is that the Bible says right here in this verse that we can do that and we should do that. You might be thinking there's a vaguely familiar theme here. If you remember back to chapter 1, when we talked about one of the ways we suppress truth is by not giving thanks. 
And we discussed what it is for which we are to give thanks. According to 1 Thessalonians 5.18 and Philippians 4.6, we're to give thanks for everything. Enjoyable things as well as difficult things. Likewise, in what are we to rejoice? 1 Thessalonians 5.16 tells us to rejoice always. That would include when things are going well and when we are suffering. But is there more of a reason to rejoice in suffering than just because it is commanded? Yes, and we're also told that right here in verses 3 through 5. Suffering for us. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. I like a little better the words that are used in the New American Standard Version in verses 4 and 5. It says that endurance produces proven character, which produces hope, and that hope does not disappoint. This implies that endurance produces a character that has been tested and has been proven to be good and genuine. And we will not be in the hope that results from that kind of character. As Charles Spurgeon has said, when sufferings produce endurance and endurance character and character hope, the Lord is honored by these growing virtues. And so it is awesome that justification by faith allows us to rejoice in sufferings. Verse 5, here's a fifth awesome result. God's love has been poured out within our hearts. What's the source of a believer's altruism? That it concerns and loving actions that we have toward others. Why do we give to charitable organizations that are spreading the gospel to those who have not heard? Or are providing material resources to those who are in need? Why do we do volunteer work to help those in need? Why do we visit those who are sick and suffering? Is it not that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts and it naturally flows out to others. That's awesome. <clears throat> See if I can get rid of some of my raspiness. My voice is not what it used to be. Um, a sixth awesome result is also in verse 5. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. Justification and reconciliation have positioned us so that God is now able to send this third person of his trinity to live within us. The Spirit can then do his work in us of convicting us of our sins, teaching us all things, bringing to our remembrance the teachings of Jesus, prompting us to do right, restraining us from doing wrong, guiding us, comforting us, showing us the things freely given to us by God. 
What an awesome thing to have the Holy Spirit within us. For the seventh result, let's jump down to verse 9. We are saved from the wrath of God. Have you ever had a conversation with someone about being saved and then been, been asked the question, saved from what? Well, here's the answer. Verse 9, we are saved from the wrath of God. What do we know about the wrath of God? We can find it pretty clearly spelled out in Revelation chapter 16, verse 1, where we read this. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. You can read about those seven bowls in the rest of chapter 16. Many students of prophecy would say that this occurs in the last half of the final seven years, or what we commonly call the Great Tribulation. In addition to verse 9, here in Romans 5, verse 9, we also read in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, that God has not destined us destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> As many of you know, one of the debates among Christians is whether the rapture or the removing of believers from the earth will occur before, during, or after the tribulation period. Many believers or would use these verses to argue for the raptures occurring before the great tribulation, which will be the time of God's wrath. But regardless of where you come out on this debate, I think we can all agree that the ultimate manifestation of God's wrath is being cast into the lake of fire and having eternal separation from him. And our justification will certainly save us from that. That is truly awesome. So we've looked at seven awesome results of our justification. Let's look at the middle verses of verses 6 through 8. And then also again in verse 10 to see an awesome consideration of our justification. And that has to do with when we were offered this gift of justification by faith. We were offered it when we quite clearly did not deserve it. We could never be good enough, and we don't ever have to be good enough to be accepted by God. Verse 6 tells us it was while we were weak or helpless that Christ died for us. Also in this verse, he died for the ungodly. Verse 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. I think this has to be the most awesome thing of all about our justification, namely that it was granted to us when we did not deserve it and when we could never have deserved it 
no matter how hard we tried. Some of you may remember from Mamie's testimony two weeks ago that she made this statement. And the only reason I remember it is because I wrote it down because I thought it was so appropriate for this passage. <clears throat> she said she felt that God deserved somebody better than me. How many of us have felt that way at some time or another? Perhaps before our salvation, perhaps even after our salvation, because that is a favorite lie of Satan, that God could not love us because we are too bad. And what an awful lie that is. Should be stirred and humbled and eternally grateful that we have an all-powerful God whose love is so great that he loved us in spite of our weakness, in spite of our sin, in spite of our animosity toward him, in spite of all this, he loved us and was willing to die for us. Praise God that in her journey to salvation, Mamie came to realize that no matter how good or how bad she was, it made no difference to God. He was ready to accept her by faith and her. And that applies to every one of us. We are offered justification even when we're weak, when we are ungodly, when we are sinners, when we are enemies. <clears throat> The concluding verses of this passage in verses 10 and 11 speak of reconciliation. Reconciliation is a bringing together of two entities, usually two people, who have been previously separated by differences or disagreements. When those differences or disagreements have been resolved, the two are unified and reconciliation has occurred. As used in the Bible, it most often refers to the restoration of a relationship between a holy God and a sinful people who have been separated because of that sin. But that sin can now be forgiven through faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, which eliminates the separation and restores the relationship. We've seen that justification by faith is awesome by looking at seven awesome results and one awesome concern. Now, remember our story? Some of you may have recognized the man in our story as the prophet Elijah, who had just demonstrated the power of God to Ahab, Jezebel, hundreds of people, 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. But then Jezebel threatened his life, and he fled in fear and despair. He was tired and without food. God provided the rest and the food he needed, and then had him get up and travel six weeks to Mount where God spoke to him and had more for him to do. So my point with that story is that God did not provide for him in his despair 
so that he could kick back and take it easy for the rest of his life. He provided because he had more work for Elijah to do. What does that have to do with us? Well, hopefully that's somewhat obvious. But we have not been justified and given these awesome results just so we can have a nice life. God wants us to use what we have been given to continue to serve him. And that brings us back to Brady's emphasis two weeks ago. As we've seen today, justification by faith is awesome, but justification by faith is also for obedience. So the question is, how are you serving him? How am I serving him? If you're here this morning and you're not sure if you're justified and therefore able to partake of all the results, please talk with someone. I'll stay up here. You could talk with me. Talk with one of the other elders. Talk with Evan in the office. Or just talk with one of your friends who you know has taken that step and has been justified by his faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to help you come into that position. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us, a love that was so great that even while we were sinners, you died for us. You have justified us. You have declared us righteous. And we have peace with you and grace. We can rejoice. We've been given your, given your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we have been reconciled to you. Our relationship has been restored. And I fear that sometimes we just, we hear those things and we take them for granted. But would you just work in each one of our hearts to, Help us to realize that uh, these things are uh, truly awesome. And uh, we owe you uh, an endless debt of gratitude, thanksgiving, and service. And we thank you in the name of Jesus who died that we can be in this position. Amen. So that will conclude our service. And uh, please... Join us for lunch in the APR. Thank you.